The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. See, so the, I don't know if you saw Donald Trump said yesterday or the day before, amongst many other things that he said, um, that uh, he, any Muslim traveling, we should put a ban on all Muslim traveling into the country um, until we figure out the situation. Well. That's what he's announced yesterday, and um, even... Uh, How was that received? Depends <laughs> which websites you free. Depends who, Depends which websites you I don't think anybody was real supportive of that. They believed that they should. Right. Right. Uh, even Paul Ryan even, even came out again. Even for me, I think. He doesn't try not to get involved. Of course, he's supportive. Why? They should take the ones in the country and kick them out. Also, yeah, until we figure out the situation. And we were on tape recorder. <laughs> I was not Alan Figman, I was Alan Winters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, can you get this straight? Don't get the names on this. Right? I'm attached to my opinion. <laughs> That's why I bring food. Oh, so we, we agree with you. Yeah, we agree with you. Okay, so the question is, I want to discuss it from the Torah perspective today. We all might have our personal opinions, but uh, we'd like to hear what the Torah has to say about it. So we, we actually touched on some of these uh, topics in the past, slightly. Um, primarily, we did. We, I think we did discuss the, the illegal immigration issue in the past here, but the, the first principle um, that you find in the Torah is, is a fascinating principle. Um, it's the, um, actually the most oft-mentioned mitzvah in the Torah. Okay, It's mentioned, I believe, 36 or 38 times. I can't recall offhand. Like I said my computer's not working. Um, so it's, I think it's at least 36 times. The Are you plugging has, for a new computer or something? Um, the, the, the language the Torah uses in Hebrew, it says you shall love the ger. Now ger is a tricky word. Literally the word means stranger. It's also used um, in the context of convert. So we, we refer, in Hebrew, we refer to a convert to Judaism as a ger also. But the literal translation means stranger. So the 36 times this mitzvah is mentioned in the Torah, um, sometimes it's referring to an actual convert, so most times it's referring to just a stranger in your land. Okay? And as you see here, quoted says, and there shall be one law for the citizen and for the stranger who dwells amongst you. Meaning, so even the non-citizen, um, even if you're not making them into a citizen, but if they're in your country and they're members of a different culture, different race, a different religion, whatever it may be, that doesn't give you a right to treat them differently. We're talking about once they're here. We get obviously when we get to obviously the security questions and things like that. But the general principle, Torah stresses very, very, very no, um, very strong terms, which is you have to treat the stranger equally. Okay. Another verse I quoted here in Exodus says, "You shall not taunt or oppress a stranger." Again, the word is ger. For you have having yourselves been strangers in the land of Egypt. So the Torah tells you, listen, we as Jews, we've been there, done that. We've been strangers in many cultures along our, our history, beginning with Egypt, and of course going all the way down, we've always been treated as an outsider in most societies we've, we've lived in, in the diaspora. Um, so, so therefore we know what it's like, and therefore we shouldn't do to others what, uh, what, how the way that we've been treated. Okay, and then again, uh, the Medrash explains, they want to have one of these? You shall, you shall not wrong or oppress the gear. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
You shall not wrong or oppress the gear for you or gear in the land of Egypt. You shall not wrong with words. You shall not oppress them financially. So the, the commentaries explain it's not only limited to to uh, oppression in the sense of discrimination, even when it comes to financial means. So let's say, for example, if we're uh, but the word there was in your country. Trump was the land in your country. So then you don't have to yes. oppress them. Yes, well, that's, 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 that's true. That's oppression. That's a different question. Um, whether there's two questions. One is, should you let them in? And then once they're here, how do we treat them? Okay, so you're right, Alan. It's two, two different issues. Okay, so um, the point is, so now there's two types of oppression. There's the literal oppression, and the and then there's financial oppression. So for example, if even, what the Torah seems to be saying is even if we are, let's say we're giving uh, universal health care to our citizens, okay, so then we'd be obligated to give the same health care to someone, a stranger in our land, who's even not a citizen, um, or whatever the, whatever the case may be. So even financial oppression, the Torah seems to be saying, is also prohibited. Can't treat them different in, in, in economically, okay? So that is another, that's the general principle, again, a very important principle, known as Vehaftem et Hager, shall love the stranger. Um, and and the, the reason why the Torah obviously has to mention it many times is because human nature is, as we know, um, especially for those of, who, those of us who live in Bel Air, um, is when someone looks differently, acts differently, or is not the same, they're not, they are treated differently. That's human nature. We treat people who are different than us, whatever way they're different, we treat them, um, we do treat them differently. Um, so, the, so therefore the Torah has to stress this aspect because again, this is, you have to overcome your nature. Human nature is we are racist to some extent, we are, we treat people differently by their skin color, by their different cultures. We, someone's not a member of the club, so they're treated differently. So that's why the Torah has to stress it. So that being said, that's the general principle. So now you have an issue. Um, we have a few different issues here. So one is, I'm going to take some principles that we might have mentioned here in the past, actually relevant in the, what you're discussing, philanthropy or tra charity. So that's where they come to play. There's always a question of, um, you have economies, but you also have to have priorities. Obviously, we have limited funds um, when you're giving staka as a society, as an individual. Um, and that's important to stress here. There's two. There's two different questions here. One is we have a question here as a society how to deal with with people who are being oppressed somewhere else and they're coming here. They're seeking refuge. And then you have a, a different question as an individual. Um, besides, as a society, besides as a community, should I? You know, once they're here, can I? Do I? Do I invite them for Shabbat dinner? Do I have them over for uh, you know, right, things like that? Okay, so so that's so there's two definitions, but there there is obviously a lot of overlap. So so the principle is like this: we have a principle in the laws of charity. When it comes, let's say, um, the cl well, actually we'll, we'll discuss the classical case that I put down. There's a classic lifeboat ethics case that the Talmud discusses. Um, famous case, the Gemara in Baba Masih discusses. When you have two people traveling in the desert. Okay, they, they only have one jug of water, and there's no place around. There's no Walmart in the next you know, 500 miles, there's no way to get more water, um, and there's only one of them can survive. Whoever drinks that water is going to survive. If they share, if they split the water, they both will die. So the Kumar asked the question, can I, am I obligated to share my water with my fellow man, or can I just drink it myself and let him die, let the other guy die? Alan, what would you do? Hmm? Maybe, maybe not, don't answer that. Um, David, what would you do next? Depends if I liked him or not. No. One jug of water. You drink the water. You don't give it. You want to live. 
Right. So you so choose life or death. You're obligated to protect your own life. Exactly. Yeah. So the so the. Well, it depends on who it is. Yeah. Your mother-in-law. From your kid to your best friends. Your mother-in-law. Give it to your kid. Alan, your mother-in-law. She don't think so. Well, it depends because children. You want to preserve the younger the wise, they have more life. That's not true. So in the same age. Judaism, that's not true. Yeah, it's not just nothing much true. I don't have obligated to get the titles. Wow. Is what? Say it again. Entitled may be better than than obligated. So you're obligated to keep you defend your life, I think. Yeah, but you're obligated to save a life, but it didn't save your life. Well, Judaism, we don't. It's an interesting point Steve is making. Judaism, we never, we don't believe in entitlements. It's all about obligations. You know, there's a concept of like the rights that we have in Western society and American society. Doesn't Judaism? It's not. It's about what is your obligation? Am I obligated to to share my water? Or am I not? Um, you could look at it the other way. Is he entitled to the water? But he's not. No one's entitled. This guy's just your friend. You're not obligated to take care of him. He you was your friend. Hey, whose water is it? Whose water is it? It's mine. So you're right, so there's two opinions, although what Alan just mentioned is important, whose water is it, that's important, because let's say, what about the other guy, let's say I'm saying I'm keeping the water, does well, he have guess, a right to fight for the water? it doesn't matter whose water it is, it's smaller than you. Oh, well, that's the point. No, I'm saying, but if, let's say he's bigger than no, you, does he have a right to fight for the water? That's, so we're not getting into all the details of that case, but the Talmud says, first opinion of Ben Petura says, better both should drink and die than one should see his friends wow. die. Which is which is not what we rule like, and there's a lot of questions what that means. Um, the, some say the, he's assuming that you might find water. There is a chance that you're going to stumble upon some water, and therefore you can take you have to take the chance. But Rabbi Kiva comes along as a second opinion and says very clearly, based on a verse in Leviticus that says it, when it's talking about charity, the verse says, imach, your brother shall live with you." Okay, that's what the verse says. So the in Parshat Kedoshim, so Rabbi Kiva says, what is that coming to tell you? Well, even when you give charity, it's about helping your brother, your friend, but he shall live with you. That means if by giving the charity, you're not going to stay alive, says Rabbi Kiva, the, the verse seems to, the implication is, don't give charity. So meaning if you're going to help someone at the expense of your own life, says, says Rabbi Kiva, then you're not obligated to help that person. Now it doesn't mean if you you know you're not going to be able to afford your car payments, your Tesla payments, or your Mercedes payments. That's not what it means. It means at the expense of literally. It doesn't mean literally your life. You're going to die, but your your it will affect your life. Okay. Um, so so again, it doesn't mean meaning you're going to not going to have a luxury because you still might be obligated to save that person's life. But at the, in the on the surface, it means any time that you're by giving charity. You might not be able to live, okay? So then you're not able to give that chair to help someone else. Okay, so that's, again, the principle is, the principle is chayecha kodim, what? I had some drinks delivered. I mean, I saw these drinks in my kitchen, oh. bigger than Alan Pickle would bring nice. Real drinks? Or? Yeah, drinks. Oh. Some of these soft drinks, maybe, some of Okay, yeah, thank you. Very nice, buddy. And now that he's getting a partner here, I don't know how many weeks ago that was. So, so again, so the principle here is what's known as like from the word chayim, your life kodmin takes precedence over someone else's life. So, anytime the choice between my life and someone else's life, your life takes precedence. You're, you could, you have, especially with your own resources, you need to save your own life before you save someone else. Even if it's your child. So that's a good question. So, uh, a spouse. 
the, the Talmud says is like you. Okay, spouse is equal, I mean you're one unit. Mm-hmm. So spouse oh, says, so you so so kids, it's not so clear. Again, your mother in law for sure, you don't have to say <laughs> but uh this one you research this <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but kids is, is a good question. I'm assuming it's a family unit so you right, have to be careful we're you know. What if what if I'm like what if it's me and there's like two small children? And it can either be me or two small children. Right, so that's what you you mean uh, minors? No, so two, two versus one. Oh, so Are they so yours? No, he doesn't two, know. Two, they're he doesn't know. <laughs> two say eight-year-old children. I can give them a drink of water. They can drink it, and uh, so, I know. This is your your water. No, but the point is still he's committing suicide. So it's a good question. Yeah. Meaning, really, the but numbers and age don't play a role when it comes to saving life. No, um, she's Meaning you're age, right. uh, all life is considered equal in, in halacha. Thirteen was Okay, but but uh, the question is there may be two. The fact that it's two kids, good question. But you technically you you you're not allowed to forfeit your life. Technically speaking, you can't forfeit your life. It's even to save someone else's life. Okay, you want to be a hero, you can do that. But we said before, in Western society, you're a hero if, if you give up your own life to save someone else. In halacha, you're you're a fool. Okay, you're not a hero. Um, so now, so the, so basically from this question here. This uh, question from this principle of Chayach Kodman, it would seem to imply, that's what I put up on top here, it would seem to, to dictate. Shh, wow. Good to see you. I have some food. Saved, you, know, you know, we like the poppy seeds of Kanye, we saved your poppy seeds. That would be nasty, wouldn't it? Poppy food. No, it's, my it's, computer was down, so I couldn't print he that. Printed, he just made a copy of the one from the last oh, same. I was see, you had all these different names. Now I'm here twice. I'm here twice, and now I see you guys that are here. I'm thinking, they're smart. You don't have to pay, though. You guys showed up, I didn't see that. That's the list of That's the ethical dilemma. You guys think we're double credits now? So, where were we? Okay, so the Chayach So, this principle of your life takes precedence would seem to dictate that perhaps we don't have to save the refugees at the expense of risking our own lives. So if there's any way that if we, by bring, even forgetting about the security risk before we even go there, even the economic risk, meaning if by bringing them in we're going to have to give them, uh, you know, support them and, and do things like that, which could affect um, our own society. So it could be according to this principle, we wouldn't have to do that. Um, again, the principle of your life takes precedence. Surely also, obviously, with the security risk, assuming there is one, and we don't know that, but I don't know enough about the, the topic, but assuming there is a security risk of bringing them in. So again, you don't have to risk your own life to save someone else's life. So even if their life is at danger, is in danger, from the Syrian refugees, you wouldn't have to save your life. At least I guess I've got it. Don't lie to my danger either. Okay, but... Huh? Don't lie to my danger, though. Whose life? None of these people coming here. You said that you're, I mean, they're, they're not living in Syria. It's pretty dangerous. They have other places to go. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it depends. Right, so let's, 
Let's I mean, no, are you saying they're refugees? I mean, they're coming let's, from Syria. Let's back off on the Syrian refugees, because that's kind of a political hot topic. Let's go back to the Russian refugees. The refuseniks that really, that was, a, we were told when we were younger, that was our obligation. That weren't coming here to uh, destroy the United States. No, 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 I'm, not talking, I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about from they the were Jewish being oppressed. They were being oppressed. They were being oppressed. They were leaving the question there. Is saying they weren't you're, leaving. You're we were trying to get them out. The right. question wasn't so much a place to get. The place was. No, but who would take them? Yeah, but who would take them? Who was going to take them? Well, nobody would. But in this case, you have people taking millions of Syrian refugees. Other refugees. Okay, so that's a good, another good point. So we're just taking the Arab. I want to address their point. We're only taking you talking about. We're not saving their lives. We're not creating. It's not like like the Jews in the Holocaust had no place to go. No one would open their doors. Okay, so that's a valid point. point. But I want to address her issue. So <laughs> meaning, so leave. The point is like this. Well, we're, we're going to have a few principles here. But again, if they would affect our lives adverse, meaning that's what we're saying. You don't have an obligation. Whoever it is, Jews, non-Jews, we don't really don't differentiate. But I want to point out, so this is not only, you know, like I said before, David, it's an important point, not only that, let's say, you, you're not going to be able to make your Tesla payments. It's not what we're referring to, like we said, for sure. But even, there is, even economically, for example, the Talmud discusses that we understand that to have a society has to have a certain level, what we might view, some of us might view as, as luxuries. But in order for society to survive, even to save a life, we don't say, for example, um, I'll give you the, the case the Talmud discusses, is you have a river going down a mountain, and there's a village on top of the mountain and a village at the bottom. So now if the people on top of the mountain take the water and the people on the bottom won't have water to, to live, there's still the people on the top since the river comes to them first, they're allowed to drink the water. Even if the people at the bottom are going to die of thirst because they need the water also. Now what happens as the Talmud, so that's for sure, but what happens if people on top have enough water to drink but they also need to wash their clothing? Now if they wash their clothes in the river, the people on the bottom won't have water to drink, to live. Can the people on, in the top village um, use the water to wash the clothes? Says the Talmud, yes. Even if the people on the bottom won't have enough water to drink, because it's part of living in society. This is They get the water first, it's their water. Part of living in society is you have to wash your clothing, most societies. People on the bottom right. are shit out of luck. Right. So, so the point is, so, so meaning it's even if the point, I don't have to say, meaning, so this comes into play, besides here, it's let's say, Someone could say, make the argument, we have to save lives, so all our, all our money you know, should go to healthcare, right? Because we're saving lives. So let's give all our money to MD Anderson, forget anything else. Let's not have parks. Why are we giving, why is the city or the federal government giving money to the arts, humanities, should all go into healthcare, right? So obviously, so obviously, as a society, we understand part of living in a society is you have to have parks, you have to have, um, um, you have to have, culture is part of a society. So it's not just a luxury. Okay, you have to have that. No, the society can't live without parks, without even even uh, one can make the argument arts. Okay. Why? Without a park. That's you. You're a special person. That's for you. All right. So, so obviously there's a line. It's a gray area. I don't know where you draw the line, but the point being is so. Again, if by bringing in these refugees, whoever they may be, it will affect our society. We're not going to have money for other aspects. So that could be issue number one. 
Issue number two is, which we discussed here, I believe, in the past, um, number five on the sheet, it's called Aniyei Ir Chakodim. That means we have a kind the, the, in, in the laws of philanthropy and charity, it says the first people you have to take care of are the poor of your city. They come before anyone else. So before you, you're giving to late night TV, Rwanda, cleft palate in, in Rwanda, or whatever it is, depending which channels you're watching at late night, Okay, so you need to give, you need to take care of the people in Houston, or in this case, the the uh, the people in in um, let's say people like the people make the argument. I think I don't remember who one of the politicians made this argument that our veterans are don't have health care, they're dying in the, in the VA. We're going to take in Syrian refugees. So there is a concept of aniyeir chakodim. It means you need to take care of the indigent of your own society before we go and start giving money to to Syrian refugees. Okay. Now again, you can make the argument how much is it going to cost us, is to, maybe it's an investment, as the Jews were down the line, they're going to give back to society. So that's a lot of factors obviously involved, but the point is there's another principle, which is a very important principle, again known as Aniyei Ircha Kodim. The Aniyei, Ani means a poor person, Ircha, Ir means a city, Ircha means your city, Kodim, take precedence. So even though we might have an obligation to give charity to, to uh, these refugees and to help them out, but we need to take care of our own first. And that's the question. Um, if we have limited funds, we, you know, how, how does that work? So, so obviously, if, the, if you have people in your own city or your own country who are not being taken care of, whether, whether it's homeless, whether it's... So then, after we take care of them, that's when we can t start taking care of other people. So that's that's uh, principle number like two. Like in Hebrew Philom? Philom, yes. Whatever, whatever the charity is. Okay. Well, everything's relative, you know, to that's whether they're being that's taken care of or not. That's number six. A lot of the people that are quote, not taken yeah, care of. There. A lot of people that are not taken care of here aren't taken care of because they're not doing anything or they're mentally disturbed. Yeah, don't you? Got to yes, help, help, so help, help, help themselves. Yes, I'm not saying, line. listen, we have to solve every single problem in our country before we give take and serve refugees. What I'm saying is if we have a budget problem that the VA people are, if it's true, you again, don't have a budget problem. You have a spending problem. Whatever it is. An economic problem money. that we're spending too much on one thing. So if we're going to take billions of dollars and put them into taking civil refugees, when that money could be used to help our veterans, so that becomes a question of precedence. What do we do first? So the, so the halacha says you need to take care of your own before you take care of others. Take care of the poor of your city. Okay, so that, that's, an, again, um, an example of this actually, in actual, my sister-in-law's brother actually asked this question to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein in 1973, I believe, or 72, um, when the Cambodian... Refugees were coming in to the country. I'm not that old, so I don't know what year was were the Cambodian boat people coming. Probably 75, 76. Okay, maybe. See that? Um, I'm not even that old. Uh, so, so the, so the, so the, re the Cambodian boat people were coming in. As you know, they were turning away these packed these boats. So, and people were protesting to allow them in. So this guy went to Rabbi Feinstein, who was the biggest. Uh, this halachic decisive at the time, and he asked him this question, are we as, as the Jewish community, should we be out there protesting um, with the rest of the society to allow these people into the country? And Rabbi Feinstein said, yes, we have an obligation to protest as a Jewish community and to let because we should allow them in, they're being persecuted, but he said, first solve, take care of the issues we have in the Jewish community, and then you can go protest. That was his answer, based on this principle. So again, so do we have an obligation maybe to help um, Syrian refugees? Um, yes. Okay, but the question is, we have to have a precedence and until JEI's budget is covered, um, then we are. <laughs> okay, so, uh, 
So that's he's a new computer, by the way. Just gives you the first part of the whole story. Sonic attack. Okay, so that's that's uh, that's principle number two when it comes to precedence. Okay, so first is on one's own. You, your life takes precedence. Obviously, it will affect your life detrimentally. Number two is um, we have to take care of the indigent of our city, of our society, before we go ahead and take care of people in other societies. Now, another thing which which someone mentioned. Um, actually, I believe this was Chris Christie's argument. Um, he's, his argument was, and I realize this is relevant to Allah, maybe you could make the, the, the comparison, is he argues that it's actually, it would be cheaper, it's better for the refugees if we help them get settled in their, in their native lands and bring them here. It's cheaper and it would be better for them in the long run. Why can't we you know, make safe havens in Syria? That are guarded by you know by the, the international coalition and no fly zones and help them there. It's then rather than schlepping them here, paying for them, and then they have to start hard to start a whole new life. And it's Peter Lehman. That's that was Chris Christie's argument. So and and Alan would agree with that, and we'll pay the ones here to leave to go join them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now, so now, um, the, so I was thinking about that. So assuming again, I don't know the facts on the ground, but assuming that is a possibility. That's similar to, as, as uh, David Love mentioned, which is the, the concept of giving a loan. Charity, when it comes to the laws of Tzedakah, it says the highest form of charity is not to give someone a handout. Because, uh, you know, then they, they just become needy, they become entitled, and, and that's not helping them in a certain sense. Yes, it's helping them short term. But the best thing to do for them is to give them a loan where they can start their own business. You help them out where they actually. You're not just giving them a handout. They feel better about it psychologically, and it's it's a future help. You're teaching them how to fish, by the way, which people think is a Christian concept. Teaching someone how to fish, hey, hey, it's good stuff. Uh, teaching someone how to fish is not is a Jewish. The Talmud says that right. comes from Jesus got it from the Talmud um, and most of his stuff. So so the point is um, Santa Claus. The the point person. being. Is, is that helping someone in a way that they, that's better for their life, not just giving them a handout, um, is actually in the, when it comes to, to the hierarchy in charitable giving, that's the best thing. So it says a loan or giving someone a job is the highest form of charity, much more, much better than just writing them a check. Okay, so, so the same thing might apply here. Chris Christie does have a point in that sense. Maybe settling them in their own place where they speak the language and they can get a job and they don't have to rely on handouts might be a better way of, of solving this problem. Okay, so that's that's the third uh, number six that I wrote here. So believe it or not, as one of my, one of my one of the things that I'm constantly amazed of, I'm sure sure as you are, is that the Torah halach addresses almost every issue, any contemporary issue that arises. You will find a source somewhere in Jewish text. We're not. There's no uh, new problems in the world. Everything is. It's amazing. It is. But the question is, you, I agree. Is it like a lawyer, good lawyer, where you can find stuff arguing both sides? Is that it, could be true. It, most of the yeah. time, it's not necessarily definitive. He can pick this. Uh, he can pick I don't know. Yeah, but you could, yeah. Pretty clearly from yeah, way back. Yeah, some And then, and then you can take the insurance If you don't agree with it, just say, hey. Man, okay. didn't really know. God didn't. Know. Just I was Alan Winters. <laughs> 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 Alan Winters, good tackle. Alan Winters, good tackle. The rabbi, I give you credit.
you have a debate, so it even shows you a lot of how debate it Steve, you're right. Yes, there is always this, this room for debate, but at the end of the day, you need there's a psakalacha. You're going to get the final answer from your local rabbi. But there typically are two or three rabbis. Yeah, okay. So you need so to know you have different choose opinions. a good rabbi. That's true. It's like you, you know have to choose your rabbi. It's like in this one, you get for instructions to say, this is a good answer. Yeah. Shah, so, so it's a good point, but the point is the Torah many times addresses the issue head on. Sometimes there will be different opinions on how to interpret it. No question, but you have to know the right rabbi. Who, who, uh, that's why you need to choose your rabbis. You need to choose a good rabbi. Okay, so the point is, so, so I found, fascinatingly enough, I found the response I'm written in the 1200s um, posing this question, and it's actually quoted in the Shulchan Aruch. And the code of Jewish law discusses it. Um, the question of, and it's really in the context of economic um, issue. Let me bring. Uh, I don't have my. Um, the issue that posed was like this. Uh, as we know, the Jews, you have to put it into the context there, because it sounds somewhat cruel, as we'll see. But the qu- basic question was, do the inhabitants of a city, of a Jewish city, we're talking about Jews versus Jew versus Jew, have a right to say, we don't want the new Jews coming into our city, because they're going to affect us economically, they're going to take away the jobs, we already have enough business there, and they're going to be doing the same business. There's too many rabbis in the city, we don't want more rabbis coming in. Right, so so can do we have a right to say you meaning the context the concept of of do we as inhabitants of the communities have a right to to, to reject someone to say you can't live here? Okay? Sort of like a deed restriction. Huh? Question. Does it matter if you're Jews or non Jews? No, we're talking about the question posed was Jews, Jew versus Jew. Because the context here was, you have to realize, throughout history, Jews have lived in ghettos. Ghettos have been very, I guess the word is tight, you know, crowded. crowded. There's not enough, there's limited, you could only do business within the ghetto as Jews, they were discriminated against. So they have a certain, and there wasn't a certain amount of room. Just because there were more people coming in didn't mean they widened the ghetto, they didn't move the wall. So you're stuck in this ghetto. Okay, and, and the question was, people from other cities want to come in. They want to open, do, do commerce, say they're doing business. Do we have to allow them in? Um, do we have to, or can we say, listen, we own the rights to live in this ghetto, and therefore you, you need to stay in your community, stay where you're coming from. That was the question posed to the Russian, who was an early authority, again, in the 1200s, in Spain. So, and there is two opinions here, as you can see. Steve was right. So, so the, so the rush says like this. Says, uh, the, the concept was known as Cheskat Yishuv. Cheskat Yishuv, which means uh, the right to inhabit a city. So the, I wrote that during the Middle Ages, many Jewish people could only live in designated areas of the city. Often Jews from other cities looking for economic opportunity would seek to move to other cities. Um, however, the Jews of that city feared that the newcomers would deplete their sources of livelihood. Furthermore, the space in the ghetto is often cramped and insufficient for the original inhabitants' natural growth. Accepting newcomers can come at a real expense to the existing Jewish population. Do the existing inhabitants have the right to stop the newcomers from joining their community? That's, that was the question again. So this is Jews, Jews and Jews. Even, even Jews and Jews, the question is posed. So the rush said, um, he said a very practical thing. He says, if he is willing to pay taxes and share in the financial burden of the community, the inhabitants do not have the right to stop them from joining the community. We can't say you don't own the rights to live in a certain place. Okay, so, so therefore, 
He says, if they're coming and they just want to do business, just takers, they just want to do business, but they're not going to give pay their taxes because they're paying taxes in New Jersey or wherever, in you know, in offshore. Okay, so then we then you have a right to say you can't come into the community, you can't live here. But assuming they're sharing the burden and they're doing everything else, he says then you have no right to stop. Him. He's only coming for business and is not willing to share the burden. The inhabitants have the right to stop him from com competing with them and causing them to lose livelihood. Okay, so that was the Russia's opinion. So he's saying very clearly, you don't own the right to, to habitation. You can't tell someone you can't live here. Okay, um, but the Marik um, argues. Um, same time frame. Same, uh, maybe, uh, maybe 50, 60 years later, 100 years later. Um, and he says newcomers, no, newcomers need the permission of the original inhabitants to move in. Meaning, if we live in a community, we have a right to say we don't want more people moving in here. There's limited uh, resource in this community. It's our prerogative to decide who can live in our community and if it's going to affect the community negatively by having more people move in, which is in a certain sense it's what deed restrictions are, what, what are, uh, what's it called, uh, people you pay your dues to. Homeowners Association. We couldn't make rules in the community. Like then the kibbutz, the people have to be admitted. Well, kibbutz is private property. You know, so they yeah. have a right to say, here we're not, it's public property, it's owned by the city. Okay? Property is not, anyone could buy a house there, but they're right. saying, if, you, if you're going to live here, you have to share in the burden, or right. whatever it may be, the security. But, but there's so... If there's a house. Right, they're saying, so the, what the Marek is saying, no, they have a right to say, we don't want you living here, even if you can have share in the burden. This is our society. We don't like. We don't want more people here. We, you know, this is it. We don't. We can't. We can't. We don't want more people taking our resources. That's what the second opinion says. We don't want blacks living here. So let's say I want to open. No, but that's based on color. I want to open a prison in Bel Air. No, so that's something else. That's a whole different issue, which the halacha discusses extensively. Can you, if you live somewhere, can I open something which would be a lot of noise and I a bar or? Which is going to affect the quality of life. That's a No, it does. It affects the real estate values, uh, the quality of life. Well, you, 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 know, well, you, you can't pitch, pick up hitchhikers at night. So, a lot of, a lot of well, there has use does it though. A lot of use does not have zoning laws, but yeah, but that's why they have homeowners we have associations. Deed restrictions. Well, they don't. The pillar doesn't have homeowners associations. Yeah, but, but they have their own rule. I mean, they, in All the pillar is a homeowner association. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, they don't like synagogues. Right. Um, Only if the people drive. Yeah, people park on the street one yeah. time a year. Hundred cars once or twice a year. Um, okay, so so this is uh, this concept. So so again, not only it went so far that there was another early authority, French medieval authority. Listen to this, Alan. Rabbeinu Tam, he actually went so far that if someone did listen, you can't physically stop them from moving the community. So what do you do? He he actually passed a law. Um, they say practically it didn't take effect, but he said that anyone who moves in, a newcomer, who doesn't have a right to live here, um, is excommunicated. It means you can't do business with them. But he didn't allow the Jewish, the existing Jewish community to do business with any newcomers moving in. Um, you can't allow them in the synagogue, you can't have membership, etc. So, so this is to show you how far it went. Again, it sounds almost cruel to a certain extent, but the point is, again, it has to do with the principles we discussed before. I'm, I'm not obligated to help someone else at the expense of the existing community. Okay, if it's going to be detrimental, if his helping um, these people will be detrimental to the existing community. Okay, that's, that's an important principle. I keep thinking about the growth of the young Israel community. Well, now and, they're, um, they're developing more housing. A lot of the, other, the, the people who are already here, 
Well, that's in general. It's a good point. Uh, people complaining New Yorkers moving in. I can say, listen, New Yorkers are detrimental to the People of Yankees moving into, you know, it's a good complaint. You know, they drive quick, they hunk, they double park, they, they're, New Yorkers are not people you want living in the community. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good argument. You're right. People do complain there, by the way. Most of them. There's a nice quiet community. There, okay. <laughs> okay, so, um, so, um, so, that, so that's that's just to the precedent that I found addressing the issue. Now, there's a there's another important concept. Just to get back to the original principle, and I think we discussed it here in other context also. There's there's a concept in Judaism. The epitome of not being hospitable is the Sadamites. Okay, the Sadamites are famous for many things. One of the things the people of Sodom were famous for is they were they passed laws that it was prohibited to illegal. Be nice. Right, to be nice, to be nice to people, to have guests over. It was illegal to have guests in your home overnight in the city of Stone. People could come visit the city, but you weren't allowed to stay overnight. No hotels, no motels, and you weren't allowed to have guests. That's the famous story with Lot. He invited guests into his home. The angels, he didn't know they were angels. Right, so, so that is called, so one of the things that is discussed more from a, um, not a, it is a legal aspect of it, but it's also just the, the philosophically, not to, as Jews, we like to think of ourselves as very kind people, as hospitable, as in our DNA from, from Avram Avinu, from Abraham, and, um, and therefore we, acting like a Sadamite is one of the worst uh, things as a, as a Jewish community that we can do, meaning we're supposed to be hospitable. So the Talmud refers to, first to in many cases, Sadamitic behavior. Someone who has what's called Midat Stom. Midat Stom, literally Midat means the attribute. An attribute of, of a Sadamite. Means he doesn't. He's just. Uh, he does, he's not nice. He's not. Doesn't invite people to his home. It's not. It's not hospitable. Okay. So it goes so far to. Uh, that's what it says. And it, what's interesting is the argument. What was the rationale of the Sadamites? Just when they weren't all disgusting people. Right? Why did they ban having guests in there in the city? It's because. And even today, if you've ever gone to the Dead Sea area, we. Shalom.